John, the ninth chapter. And this will cover verses 1 through 38. And it's the giving of sight to the blind. Now, if you remember, John gives us eight miracles. And seven are before the cross. And one after his resurrection. The one after his resurrection is in chapter 21. And if you have that lesson sheet, you'll notice that Matthew gives us 20 miracles. You can glance at it. Most of this information is readily seen. And Mark gives us 18 miracles in Luke 20. And John gives us 8 miracles. And John's purpose is revealed in the 20th chapter, verses 30 and 31. So I want to read John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 before we... Uh, stick with our text in the ninth chapter. But here's the purpose of John giving these miracles. And in verse 30, the 20th chapter, it says, And many other signs, now a sign is a miracle or a wonder, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now it's very evident that they're not written in this book because John only gives us eight of them, and Matthew and Mark and Luke give us uh, 20 and 18 and 20. So we know that there are many other signs. And John knew of these other signs, these other miracles. But he says, now verse 31, he reveals the purpose that these that he wrote in this book of John, the reason for it, he says, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. The word believe is found over a hundred times in the Gospel of John. And eternal life is found 35 times. So, he wants to reveal his purpose. John, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, reveals that the purpose of his writing, these miracles, and it's said of these seven before the cross, that uh, the purpose of these seven miracles, there's eight, one after the resurrection, But the purpose of these seven miracles is to show us how to believe on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life through His name. The first three miracles, and you'll have all this information on your chart, you can look at it later. Uh, The first three of these miracles teach us how to be saved. The first one is salvation through the Word of God. We've taught that. The second one, salvation uh, by faith. The third one, salvation by grace. And the, uh, the fourth miracle, the center of the seven, the fourth, the feeding of the 5,000, is to teach us the human instrumentality of salvation. Andrew, Philip, the lad, the fishes, the disciples dispensing the bread, everyone was involved. And all the church needs to in, be involved. You and I, every Christian here, needs to be involved in dispensing the bread of life. Whatever we do. I could just camp right there and go on with that because the lad, even with his little, the very little that he had, he had five little loaves or biscuits and two small fishes. Some say he had a couple of sardines. I don't know about that. But anyway, he yielded all of that. It was used for God, wasn't it? So every one of us can contribute something. There's no sense of saying, I don't have anything or I have so little to give that I can't do anything. Because if you give that little, Jesus is able to multiply it and make it work. And He will in the church. Whoever you are here tonight, boy or girl or man or woman, if you'll do what you can do, and you do it faithfully to God, He will make it work for His glory and for your good. 
and for the good of the church. And so anyway, then the next three miracles, and we studied one of them in our last lesson, the last three of these seven show us the results of salvation. Now then, we had this one last Sunday night, and it showed us, it was the stealing, uh, the walking on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus uh, met the disciples, is there, we're in a great storm and in the midst of the sea, and tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves, toiling and rowing. And the Bible tells us when Jesus entered that ship, when they took him even as he was into the ship, the Bible says that immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. They reached their desired haven. The first thing was peace, complete peace. They were out of the storm, no more toiling, no more rowing, no more worrying. And they were out of that storm and they were where they needed to be immediately. And that's the first result of salvation is peace. Now the second result we'll be studying tonight is light. The child of God, once he's saved, he he gets spiritual light. He can see spiritual things. The blind man could see physical things. But it's a message and a lesson in type and in figure. So once you're saved, you begin to see spiritual things. Did not Jesus Himself say, except a man, listen carefully at the wording, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then He says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So to see it and then to enter it, you must have a spiritual birth. All these things will come out, I trust, in our lesson. Now then, this could be a little more lengthy lesson than some of the others. But we want to go ahead and teach it. And then the next lesson, Sunday night, will be the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then the next Wednesday night, we'll conclude these eight, eight miracles. And it will be uh, the, the uh, miraculous draught of fishes after his resurrection. So, if you'll pay attention now to the ninth chapter. There's a lot of things that we need to say about this uh, ninth chapter. Remember now, these eight miracles of John's Gospel teach us the plan of salvation. The purpose is revealed in John 20, verse 30 and 31. It wouldn't hurt if you had memorized that verse or those two verses. I believe most of you could say it. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe what that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. And that's a wonderful two verses to remember concerning this uh, Gospel of John. Because His whole purpose follows this line. Not only the signs and the miracles, but His whole purpose is to teach us how to be saved by faith in Christ. Now then, John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus, and as Jesus passed by, He saw a man, first thing He did was see a man, which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? We're going to read and then we'll come back and expound. Who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now he was not saying, by the way, here, that, that he or his parents were sinless. He was saying it was not any particular sin of his parents or any particular sin that he... he uh, committed later on that caused this thing to happen. Now then, uh, verse 4. I must work the works of, of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. That is, he spread the clay upon the eyes of this blind man and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they that, uh, which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, is, is not this he that sat and begged? So he was not only blind, but he was a beggar, wasn't he? It tells us here, is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Just simple as that, isn't it? I did what Jesus told me to do and I, I could see. Then he says, Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisee they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. <clears throat> then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles. And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews uh, did not believe concerning him that he had been blind, and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that, he, that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they uh, the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. I always love to read this verse. Look at this. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. I don't know about Jesus. I don't know whether he's a sinner. I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see says, that's all I know about it. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know what this man is. A man called Jesus made clay and he put it on my eyes and, and I see. Now, I don't know about him being a sinner. Then said they to him, again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already. Now look, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? He'd already told them two or three times, hadn't he? Will you also be his disciples? This kind of insulted them. Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Here's another comical one. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. 
Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Well, he was born in sins. All of us are, aren't we? Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto them, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now remember, this man had received a miracle. He had testified for the Lord. He didn't know much about it. But he said, The man called Jesus made some clay, and he plastered my eyes with it, as if he could see through all that clay. But it had a purpose, and we'll get to that later on. But he said, And then he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, very distinctly and directly what to do. And he simply obeyed it. He said, I went, I washed, and and I I came seeing. Now he says, uh, and he said unto him, last part of verse 35, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, I'm going to read these three verses. I didn't include in an announcement, but three verses more. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see. The man could not see. He was blind. And so are we blinded by sin and Satan. But they that see not might see. And that they which see, think they can see and know it all, and think that they really have sight, might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. You see, they thought that they could see. And they were condemning anyone that the Lord had opened their eyes. By the way, you have the same thing in a spiritual way in the world today. The children of God, whose eyes have been opened to spiritual truth, are to this world as if they are blind. And the blinded of this world really think they can see, and they're full of the wisdom of this world. They think they can really see. But they're blind. Jesus says they're blind, and your sin remains. See, it's right the reverse of what a lot of people think. Jesus says those that that, uh, know they cannot see and trust in Jesus to open their eyes and give them spiritual insight, they're the ones that really see. But those that profess that they can really see, and they know it all, that's the wisdom of this world, he says they're really blind and they're yet in sin. And that's the way God looks at it. The world doesn't look at it that way. We have the, we have the uh, educated enlightened, so to speak. Then we have the child of God, Jesus said concerning children of God that I thank thee, O Father, that thou hast hidden these things from the prudent and the wise and hath revealed them unto babes. You see, God's children are the ones that really see. They really see. They have spiritual sight. Okay, let's get into the the text itself. Now, verse 1, I want us to notice first of all the darkness of sin in verse 1. Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. The darkness of sin. He was born blind. And that is a picture of us all. All of us are spiritually blind. I want to read a verse in Ephesians 4 verse 18. And it's speaking of our condition as well as all Gentiles. 
and Jews as well who have not the uh, sight of God. But basically here the context shows Gentiles. And it says in verse 18, Ephesians 4.18, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of what? The blindness of their heart. See? Understanding darkened. Alienated from the life of God because of ignorance. And it says, because of the blindness of their hearts. The word uh, blindness means hardness of their hearts. They're not only blind-hearted, but they're hard-hearted. If you have a marginal reference, it'll say that. So, man's need then is like this man that was born blind. Man's need is spiritual light. We need spiritual light. Oh, you say, well, uh, this man had no physical uh, light. That's true. But the purpose of John was to reveal what? The plan of salvation to show us that man, as far as salvation is concerned, needs spiritual light, just as this blind man needed physical light. That we need spiritual light. Because we're in the darkness of sin. And Jesus said, except a man, we gave it to you early. John chapter 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know, education and scholarship cannot unlock the Word of God. I remember reading Dr. Dehan, or Dehan as some say, whichever way you want to pronounce it. Many of you are familiar with him. By the way, I think the third or fourth generation of Dr. Dehan's uh, uh, sons, grandsons, great-grandsons are still in the ministry of radio Bible class. Uh, anyway, to make a long story short, I remember... Dr. DeHan, and he was talking about man's condition and about seeing kingdom of God and the educated, the worldly wise, he said concerning this particular point that it would be far better for a person to be ignorant as far as this world is concerned and spiritually enlightened and have the Word of God. He'd rather believe that one than a, than a well-educated, even so-called theologian who was an unbelieving man. And there are theologians that are unbelieving, believe it or not. (laughs) There are those kind. In fact, some of them say it doesn't make any difference about the virgin birth. Some of them say it doesn't make any difference about believing the divine inspiration of the Word of God. To me, that's an educated theologian that doesn't believe the Word of God. And I don't believe... I'd rather trust any of my laymen, any of my deacons, any of my trustees, any of my Sunday school teachers, any of our teachers in the church, any of our, uh, any child of God that had studied uh, the Bible somewhat than to trust in that kind of an education that was filled with unbelief and theological error. So anyway, it's received. The Bible says that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse... 21, for after that the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So, the world by wisdom knew not God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at this verse. It says, The natural man, but the natural man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. You see, the things of God are what? Spiritually discerned or understood. 
That's 1 Corinthians. Those two verses you need to write down. 1 Corinthians one twenty one, First 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. This, own, this man we're talking about in John chapter 9 was not only a man that was born blind, but he was a beggar. In verse 8, it tells us that he sat and begged. Is not this he that sat and begged? He was not only blind, but he was a beggar. What about you and I? Our condition by nature, having nothing. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, poverty stricken by our nature. We have nothing. And that leads us to repent. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of God. That's the first step. Repentance and faith in the Lord. And then he goes on, blessed are they that mourn. What do you do? This is John chapter 5. Mourn over your spiritual condition. It's a sad thing to have nothing spiritually. And it leads us to a place of mourning. And when we mourn, uh, then that brings us to repentance, doesn't it? Over our condition. And it says, Blessed are they that mourn for that, and they shall be comforted. God will bring comfort out of that. And then the runs of the ladder on those Beatitudes go up and up and up as you study them. So, we have nothing. And beyond the help of man, we have nothing. We're beyond the help of man. And so, we need the things of God. We need what Jesus can do. Now then, in verse 1 it says again, Jesus saw this blind man. As Jesus passed by, He saw a man which was blind. We see in this action, God's grace. He saw him. The blind man could not see the Lord. He could hear Him later on. We'll get into that point too. But he could not see the Lord. And so, Jesus called him. Jesus talked to the man. He could hear him. Just like Jesus met the man at the pool that was uh, uh, paralyzed. And he said, I can't help myself to get in the pool and neither can anyone else help me. While I'm coming, uh, another step is in before me. And Jesus said, Wilt thou be made whole? So Jesus took the initiative. It showed us salvation by grace. This one also shows us the grace of God right here. God called Adam first, didn't He? Adam didn't go out and say, God, I've sinned. Where are you? No, God had to come and say, Adam, where art thou? Right? So God comes seeking man. Man doesn't come seeking God. He's in a terrible plight. And yet, it's God that seeks him out. Jesus said, He came to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. And then, He said again in the 10th chapter of John, He said, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that there will be one fold and one shepherd. And He is bringing those. He uses the human instrumentality, the miracle we studied a couple of studies ago, Feeding the 5,000, he uses the little lad. He uses the little boys and girls here in church and Sunday school when they witness. He uses uh, young people. He uses men and women. He uses our teachers. He uses every one of us in whatever way we will fill our purpose under the plan of God. But we're responsible to fulfill that purpose. It doesn't give us any excuse not to work and serve. We know that God does it, but we're still to be responsible. So anyway, we find that uh, Jesus took the initiative here. And notice in verse 2, the disciples' question, Who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus answered in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents. You know, in things that we do not understand, we try to find the cause or the reason. They couldn't understand why this man was born blind. But you know, in three different incidents, in three different miracles or three different incidents in the Bible, I'll say a couple of these miracles before this one. 
Jesus shows that it's for the glory of God. Look in uh, another one in chapter 11, verse 4. Here's another one. 11, verse 4. When Lazarus... When Jesus heard that he... Well, let's read verse 3. When Jesus heard that, so you have to read verse 3. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. This is Lazarus is talking about. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for... Look at this statement now. But for the glory of God. Lazarus, sickness, and he's going to die and be buried for four days, and Jesus is going to resurrect him. But for what? The glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. You see, some things that happen to us are for the glory of God. This same thing back here. Look in John 9 where we're reading. In verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. What is it? What's the purpose of this man being born blind? That the works of God might be made manifest in him. Look in John 21. The last miracle we find. And at the end of it, and speaking of Peter's death in verse 18, but verse 19 He's talking about Peter's death in verse 18. In verse 19, This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. You see that? Peter's death did what? It glorified God. Lazarus' death glorified God. The blind man glorified God. You see, when we don't understand why something bad happens, we have to have a reason. The disciples said, Well, now who sinned? Who brought this about? This man or his parents? You know, there's thinking back in Moses where he visit the sins of the fathers of the children, third and fourth generation and so on. And yet the Bible tells us that every man is responsible for his own sins later on. In the book of uh, Ezekiel, I believe it is. So you'll find out that, you know, we try to explain away everything. Boy, I'm not going to get through this sermon. I try to explain away everything too, don't I? <laughs> So in the things that we do not understand, we want to know the reason. But Jesus said that the works of God should be made manifest in Him. And all would be for His good and for God's glory eventually. And it would serve the purpose that, was, that it was intended to serve. Now then, let's look at uh, the next thought. In the healing of this blind man... And in the, uh, in the healing of this blind man and in the salvation of every chosen soul, Jesus is greatly conspicuous. He's the one that stands out in the whole situation. Notice the Bible tells us that he says, a man that is, uh, a man that is named Jesus, he's the one that's in the forefront. The blind man's testimony was all about Jesus and Jesus only. He is the conspicuous one in the salvation of every soul and he is the conspicuous one in all of these miracles and especially this one he's the one he says a man named jesus made clay he said i don't know where he came from i don't know what he's doing i don't even know if he's a sinner or not all i know is he made clay and he put it on my eyes and i see so you got to know jesus is the one that does the saving some people say well uh, a preacher named so-and-so preached well so what but a man named Jesus is the one you were pointing to, right? A man that is named Jesus. Paul says, one planted and another watered, but he says, but God giveth the increase. You see, it's God that gives the increase. 
You and I, all we can do is sow the seed. We can pour the water, and we preached on this, on the turning water into wine, into those stone vessels. We can do that. Empty vessels, by the way. Earthen vessels, by the way. We can pour the water in, the water of God's Word. But it's Jesus that mysteriously and miraculously turned that water into wine. We can take the little lad and and recommend that he turn these five little loaves and fishes over to the Lord. And, and we can take them then, as Jesus says, Oh, go distribute this among the multitude. And we start giving out that bread of life, which is typical of Christ Himself. And we can do that. But Jesus is the one that multiplies it. And feeds the whole till they're all satisfied. See, we can't do that. There's some things we can do, but there's another thing we cannot do. We cannot save a soul. Did you know that? We can be instruments, but only the Lord can save a soul. He saves them. The credit goes to Jesus. So the man named Jesus was conspicuous in the whole situation. Verse 11, he says this, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. The blind man, when he had received his sight, attributed it most distinctly to whom? To Jesus. And what Jesus did for him. He sang the song a little bit ago. Uh, It is no secret what God can do. Ron and Sharon sang it. And I've just been listening to a tape I made. The first tape that I made from the pulpit here. I've made others in different ways on real tape. You know, on the old-fashioned big reels. But the first tape in 1980 was It Is No Secret. Number one in my files. And on the other side it was Blind Bartimaeus. And I have a purpose for that. But anyway, that, I just wanted to mention. Uh, it is no secret what God can do. And this man pointed out that it was distinctly the Lord that did. I'm sure that you and I, having received spiritual sight, attribute it all to Jesus. We don't attribute it to any man. Oh, we may remember who told us the story or who preached the gospel. We may remember some of the things about it. Most likely we do. And maybe we don't even remember just how it happened. But you know that behind it all, there was a man named Jesus. That's the Savior that we look to for salvation. We repented of our sins and turned to Him in faith. And that's really what it amounts to. The special means observable in this miracle, the mode of the cure seems very odd. If you'll notice, look at verse 8, verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said to him, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. So what, what was the means? It's very odd. And you know, it's very odd today that in spite of all the social programs and the social gospels that we have, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Isn't that an odd thing? You know, we have a world of do-gooders out here that tell you, you turn over a new leaf, or you quit your drinking, or you're smoking, or you're chasing around, or whatever you're doing wrong. You quit all these things, and you'll be a good guy, and you'll go to heaven? No, not so. It's still the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. When you hear the gospel, you'll change your own kind of living. I remember Dr. Connolly in the old days when the, the, he's talking about the Hottentots in Africa, you know, in the old days when they went around running around naked and so on, so forth, some of the African tribes, and there were missionaries, and I'm talking about in like in the 20s and the 30s and long about then. 
and there were some very remote places in those days. Now the world has become smaller in a sense. More of it's been uh, tapped into. But he said that a lot of the missionaries would go over there and they'd go over there with the purpose of, well, let's send clothes and put clothes on these people. they run around here naked. Let's put some shoes on their feet. Dr. Conley says you go over there and preach the gospel to them and they'll put their own clothes on. You see, they know it's wrong. Then something happens, there's an enlightenment as to what takes place. And then you can send the clothes later on to help them out humanitarianly speaking. But the first thing people need is the Gospel. Did you know that? That's the first thing people need. And so, uh, the Gospel, the mode seems very odd today. And so is the Gospel in the judgment of this worldly wise. The world by wisdom knew not God. The Bible tells us it's the power of God. God. The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The Bible tells us that through this Gospel we're justified in the sight of God just as if we had never sinned. You read the last three verses of Romans chapter 4. You'll find that righteousness is imputed to the individual that believes on Christ who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification that God's righteousness is given to us. Imputed to us. Counted. Reckoned. To us. Doesn't seem right with a worldly crowd, does it? You talk to the average person, a religious person, that has not been grounded in the Word of God and just has enough religion to be miserable. And that's true. They they want to tell you that they've got it all figured out. And when you tell them that it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation that they have to be born again. They need to repent of their sins. They need to turn to the Lord. They'll have peace in their heart, real genuine peace. They can't go for that. Now, the means to some is offensive. How men of culture sneer at this gospel. Many men of ignorance sneer at the gospel. And some want to remain ignorant. And if you remember that verse we gave you in Ephesians 4, verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Now look at this. Through the ignorance that is in them. How you're alienated from the life of God? Having the understanding darkened. You need to read that verse. Mark it down. Do something with it. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So some people want to remain in that state and condition. They do not want spiritual enlightenment. And you only get spiritual enlightenment through the gospel of the grace of God and through the preaching and teaching of the Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's where you're going to get it. And in a lot of our pulpits, there's a lack of the preaching of the Word. If one thing I desire more than anything, you pray for me that I can do this as a preacher, is to be true to God's Word and to preach the Word. You know, I'm not called upon to counsel. Old Dr. J. Harold Smith says, preachers are not counselors, they're preachers. You remember Dr. J. Harold Smith? Pastor of the First Baptist Church, Fort Smith, Arkansas, for 40 years, and over the radio, year, year in and year out, evangelist. I hope he's still living. The last time I saw him preach, he was very feeble down at seminary at Arlington. But to make a long story short, he said we're preachers. And that's what we need to turn out today is have young men and women and boys and girls that will take the Word of God seriously. And whatever sphere of service you have is to stick to the Word. 
And you can testify of the Word of God. The woman went away after she had been saved by the Lord and given a, a well of living water. And she went away into the city and says, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She became a true witness for the Lord. You and I, in whatever field of service God has called us, we need to fill that field of service. Jesus healed the blind man in such a commonplace way. He made spittle. He took spittle and made a clay. Too simple. He made a poultice and he put it on the man's eyes. Yet in this simple, commonplace way, we see what God did in the beginning to make man as a whole. God made man at the beginning of moisture and clay. He molded, he formed or fashioned man out of the dust of the earth. I'm sure it wasn't dry dust. He had to put something with it, didn't he? The moisture of God. And he made a man, created man, and then he made the woman. And he said, he breathed into Adam the breath of life. And he says, man became a living soul. He formed man of the dust of the earth. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Some objectors might say the remedy was quite inadequate. You know, the remedy for your salvation, they might say, is quite inadequate. The Bible says, what did he say to the Philippian jailer? What did Paul preach? He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says that he believed and all of his household believed. Instantly. They were baptized that night. Listen. You and I, sometimes we complicate it for the next fella. It was simple for us, but we want to make it more complicated for the next guy. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes preachers want to make it more complicated for the other fella to get saved than it was for them to get saved. Why should you do that? If it was easy for you and free as the wind, why should you make it real complicated for the next guy? The Bible says, as the serpent beguiled Eve, Paul is speaking, he says, as the serpent beguiled Eve, so uh, he, he feared that your minds be corrupted from the, listen, the simplicity which is in Christ Jesus. We used to tell our little boys and girls in Sunday school, and we still should tell them, John 3.16, and we, we try to teach them by that that they can be saved. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means you, little boy, little girl, young man, young woman, adult, whoever, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you still believe that? I believe that. I don't think you have to make it more complicated. You say, well, they don't understand it all. Who does? Who does? There's a simple verse that most anyone can understand, and yet I could take that same verse and, and give it to you, and it would drown the most uh, able theologian. You know why? Think of it this way. For God, who's God? So loved. What kind of love is that? The world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just saying it in a different way gives you the depth of it, doesn't it? But we know that it can save a soul. How could this simple way save a soul? How could this produce holiness of life. Jesus did it all for this man, but he must believe. Others might say the way of Christ's cure was opposed to the law. Remember, they said he did it on the Sabbath day. Now let's notice the plain command Jesus gave this man. Verse 7, look at it. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. That man could not see, but by the way, he could hear. And where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, right? 
so he could hear. All he had to do was hear what Jesus said. And he, his obedience to that brought salvation. In his case, brought, brought healing in sight. The command was exceeding specific. Go wash. The place was identified in the pool of Siloam. It was intensely simple. Any child could do this. Jesus was not, had not made the way complicated for anyone. Many men have made it complicated by uh, perverting or twisting the gospel of Christ. Paul speaks of that in Galatians chapter 1. He says, there be those that would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he says, it's not another gospel. He said, they preach unto you another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. I still believe that simple, plain gospel is a gospel of salvation by grace through faith. It's that simple. It's not as complicated as some people make it. It's distinctly personal. This man had to do this himself. His parents could not go wash for him. He had to do it himself. One cannot do it for another. The command for him was for the time then present. He had to do it then and there when Jesus told him to do. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If today you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Faith brings obedience. He had faith and so he obeyed. To trust God is the very essence of our obedience. When he went and washed in the pool, it was evidence of his faith. That proved that he had faith. Well, can you imagine the man with plaster on his eyes? I mean, you take this old mud and... Have you ever made adobes or seen them make adobes? It's very sticky, isn't it? I can imagine how sticky and thick that was. And Jesus put it on his eyes. Well, that would make him more blind than anything. That would make a, a man that could see blind, wouldn't it? And he put it on his eyes. But now, look at the Word. He obeyed, so he must have had faith. Can you imagine him going and washing in obedience to the pool of Siloam and washing if he had not had faith? He must have believed the Lord. And so he went. And it was proof of his faith. Evidence of his faith. Notice the delightful result. And we'll have to close. Verse 11. He said, And went and washed, and, and I received sight. This was the main point and purpose of this miracle in John's Gospel was to bring him from darkness to light. The main purpose of Jesus saving the sinners to bring him from darkness into light. And he could see it once. His sight was given in an instance. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, this is a good verse, remember it, write it down. The entrance of God's Word giveth light. 